Hello, and welcome to Oops, I Talk Politics, a left-leaning political podcast where we talk about politics. I am your stand-in host, Daryl, because Ryan is busy this he's, week. He's dead. Uh, sorry to tell you. Wow. Wait, who are you? Who's, who's saying that? <laughs> Introduce yourself. I'm Sly. I killed him. <laughs> and I'm Phil. I watched. <laughs> At least we have a witness. <laughs> I think that makes me an accomplice, but okay. So without Ryan, we're all just like a bunch of idiots and we're all bumbling around. And we, like the American people, we need someone to lead us. No, yeah. like our president, we're bumbling around, accidentally doing some <laughs> stuff right, generally doing oh, stuff wrong. Good. Yeah. Um, but I heard that our dealmaker, the master dealmaker, has actually made a deal for the first time in his presidency. Oh, thank God. That's what, that's what he was hired to do. Yeah. <laughs> or elected, not hired. The funny thing is, he actually didn't make a deal yet, but people are acting like he did. Uh, he just had a summit with uh, North Korea. And we have to confirm, like, he didn't actually make a deal yet. Like, that's uh, that's not canon yet. I mean, if you shake hands with someone, you're like, we're going to do this, right? That's like half a deal, right? You know, but, but now uh, Trump is like, oh, yeah, they're going to nuclearize. And North Korea is like, yeah, they're going to get rid of sanctions. And both people on both sides are like, that's not true. But what the fuck? Like, so, like, who knows how much yeah. sway they have of their own country. Yeah, like, Trump said that they were going to stop doing military exercises in South Korea. And that was being reported by people like close to pence that he was telling senators that that wasn't gonna happen yeah <laughs> and then like other people started reporting it's like no actually like that's a lie don't believe the media it's, it's such a mess yeah so uh the reason the first thing i want to talk about in regards to this is just like how the liberals are reacting to it a lot of them are like trump did this therefore it's bad we should strive for war with uh north korea it is a positive thing <laughs> Who has said that? Who has said yeah, that? Yeah, well, how many liberals are saying we should strive for war? A lot, but the, the implication is like a lot. Of, we'll get into it, but the implication basically is like they, they, we shouldn't do anything unless they denuclearize now. And if you know reality, that's not gonna happen anytime soon. So basically, mm-hmm. if uh, you encouraging future future militarization, and they're not tacitly admitting they want future war, but uh, if you're gonna be unreasonable and, and encourage them to keep militarizing, then that's what you're advocating in the long run. But uh, the first, first and most important thing is, like, we're being a bit negative about how much this summit actually means, but the, the South Koreans are actually pretty positive. And I bring it up because uh, no one actually ever in America ever talks about what the South Koreans actually feel about uh, North Korea deals. We talked about it in our last episode. We were saying, if South Korea is being threatened, we should go invade uh, North Korea now when most South Koreans want improved relations with North Korea. There was a poll, a recent survey... Uh, 88.4% of South Koreans support the April 27th joint peace declaration by North by uh, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. And 81% of South Koreans expressed optimism about the Trump-Kim uh, summit. And also, uh, Moon was elected on a platform of improving relations with North Korea. So uh, no one will ever tell you that makes you public. Though. And a good example of that is Washington Post. Washington Post said uh, everyone's using all these articles saying Trump big deals with Kim and stuff like that. What they should be saying, headline, should be America betrays South Korea, basically. Like, oh, America turns it back on a 70-year peace agreement with South Korea. That's literally what they say. Uh, mm. They're painting this as South Korea uh, is in danger, and we should basically declare war with North Korea or, or prevent peace with North Korea, at the very least, in order to protect South Korea when South Korea is saying we want peace. Like, we want to normalize relationships with North Korea. This is an opinion article from mm-hmm. WAPO, though, yeah, right? It is. Yes, it is. Yeah, okay. It's tough because I, I think the fear is someone like Trump might... Uh, just agree and say, yeah, we'll pull all our troops out, uh, have fun South Korea, and leave for nothing. But mm-hmm. I, I think what you're getting at is that South Korea does want to eventually reconcile. And I, I think if you ask, if they when, they when when polled, they do think reunification will happen eventually. Yes, and that, but, we mentioned that last episode. We talked about how both yeah. Koreas believe there'll be a full Korea eventually anyway. Yeah, they'll go back to being one Korea. But I think the fear that some people have is if we completely just pull out troops and leave them on their own, North Korea could potentially roll them over if they wanted to, if, we, if we're not there to help. Which is a valid concern, but the reason why I'm suspicious of this is because no one ever even talks about the South Korean position. Yeah. Uh, and, and no one, when they try to discredit this summit at all, uh, they, they, they uh, go after the idea of there being a summit in the first place. They, they didn't even try to discredit Trump's... Because Trump didn't help the summit come to place. It was President Moon from South Korea. They didn't even take the angle. They take the angle that the fact that Trump is doing it is bad just yeah. by itself, basically. Right. The same way that, that um, Obama was criticized when he said, I would talk to North Korea or yeah. I would talk to Iran. People were like, oh, my God, talking to dictators. But, like, it's kind of the job is diplomacy and, like... Mm-hmm. I mean, that's actually one of the main parts of the job of the presidency is, is yeah. foreign relations. And that means talking to people you don't like, too, to try to get them to do 
things you want them to or to not have bad things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Hypothetical arguments I saw against this word, they were mainly from like the don't legitimize Kim. Like he wants to be brought to the big boys table and treated like a person. And you can't do that unless you get denuclearization first, unless he understands that's what he's going for. But the thing is like, no, we're never like nuclearization is never going to happen because we already proof of Gaddafi and Iraq. If you're denuclearized, we're going to evade you. We're going to do a regime change. Like that's, it's never going to happen. And what's more likely to happen is if they do get legitimized and stop being treated as a rogue nation, they'll probably act more like a, a regular state, just like China and other countries did once we once we normalize relationships with them. Possibly. I mean, it's, it's tough because it's like yeah. we, we want our things in there and they're like, well, we want like our things there. Like we'd like like third party inspectors to go in there and look at their nuclearization sites as well as for them to... I mean, this is this is kind of nebulous in the long run. But why would they ever agree to our inspectors when we had a deal with Iran just now and we we, we went back? Yeah, it wouldn't well, be our inspectors. Yeah. It'd be like UN inspectors. Uh, like you said, when we declared war on on the Korean War, uh, the UN basically was a sanction of America. And but that I mean, 1950s UN is very different than modern UN. Like mm-hmm. um, the the UN Security Council at the time was the US basically. And now it's counterbalanced with China and Russia. Uh, I mean, Russia was in it at the time, too. But now we're pissing in the faces of our allies. Speaking of Russia, I want to mention another uh, hack, liberal approach to this. Rachel Maddow said, why is Trump doing this? Why is Trump so insistent on getting this deal, even though he's giving away everything to the North Koreans, which is how a lot of liberals are painting it. Trump's giving away everything. He hasn't even made a fucking deal yet, but he's giving away everything already. And he said, the reason why is because South Korea uh, uh, shares the border of Russia. That's literally her fucking new segment. Uh, a lot of people are trying to t- tie this into, uh, not a lot of people, but a lot of uh, specific shitty liberals like Rachel Maddow are t- trying to tie this into Russia Gate, uh, which is a very shitty way to delegitimize what isn't a very important p- uh, peace movement. This sounds a lot like a uh, right-wing tactic, where it's like you take any kind of good news and you try and spin it to whatever the narrative is at the time. It also really, really hurts what's already hard for independents and conservatives to stomach is the whole Russia investigation. When yes. you tie everything to it, it makes it it makes their already preconceived notion that it's fake seem even more fake. When you're like, "Oh, Trump ate a sandwich," uh, you know, is this related to Russia? Like, and that happens a yeah. lot. Like, Rachel Maddow has uh, she used to be a pretty decent uh, MSNBC host, but uh, probably being in uh, the establishment circle for so long has uh, gave her the brain worms. And like she's recently been all about tightening. It's also up. like I feel like news corporations are struggling with trying to like honestly report on Trump, and then how well sensationalism is selling right now, like these yeah. last two years about the dangers of Trump and Russia Gate and the P tape. Like people eat that up. But that's a dangerous in its own self. So it's like it, that. That's just a lot of like free publicity and press and money for. It. Like when she did the whole tax report thing, it's like she probably got a massive boost in listeners from that or from yeah. viewers <laughs> yeah but that's that's a that's one of the scary things about it because i mentioned with the, um, the well the fake with the, when we talked about fake news before fake news didn't have much of an outlet in uh leftist circles until russia gate happened and now uh the russia gate is basically creating our own tea party rachel has a good example of someone who hates trump just for being trump basically justifying the conservative narrative like the one we have against, had against uh, the tea party the hit obama just for being obama Except now it's being applied to Trump, and people like that are, are, are basically making it true because they they will tie everything to Russia. They will hate Trump no matter what he does, mm-hmm. and uh, they'll create a perception in the mainstream media that we have no substance towards Trump. We just hate him because he's Trump, and we're the opposite party. Mm-hmm. I've heard people in real life say like, "Oh, it's always the Russians these days," and stuff like that. And it's because they hear, I think, like every story connected to it. Someone's like, "Could it be that he's compromised by the Russians?" Which he he very well may be actually, but. It doesn't mean that every single one of his actions, Putin's like, go, do this. <laughs> yeah, know? or that the people painting him so much as Putin's crony that he like he has phone calls and he's like, what shall I do, master? When it's more likely that they that they just promoted him as a way to destabilize the country, regardless of if he knew or not. Yeah, he's, yeah. Just, he's just a vain dude that wants money and might have made mistakes in Russia. <laughs> yeah, and that's another thing, uh, like a lot of people... And the uh, liberals try to paint like this romantic uh, relationship with Trump and Putin, but in reality, it's probably just uh, convenience on both sides. Probably yeah. Trump uh, laundered money with the Russians, and probably mm-hmm. Russians, like Phil said, uh, are just using this as a attack as a tactic to disabilize America. Definitely, yeah, They're- make America weaker. And then on his end, he's like getting free support for his election, which is why they originally probably wanted to meet with them because they're like hey we have dirt on Hillary. To them, they're not thinking, oh, is this some big geopolitical thing? They're like, that makes me win. Good. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they've shown themselves to be that simple minded. Too. Yeah. 
everyone on the Trump team. I like that Ryan's not here, and suddenly we're like discussing this more moderately, <laughs> and we're also like bashing liberals. <laughs> yeah, fuck, fuck liberals. Like, fuck Ryan. Fuck. Uh, le- yeah. <laughs> we should burn down all left-wing political podcasts. Exactly. Starting uh, with ours. Yeah, that's why he killed Ryan. Just because he got to start it. Now I have to kill myself. <laughs> uh, before that, he killed <laughs> No, you, you can go first. I'll, I'll go next I like that we all kill each other, and then the right still stays as strong. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's kind of a good analogy for the circular fighting squad on the left, anyway. <laughs> Sly's the ringleader of this circle. <laughs> uh, Trump is good. Like, we, uh, Trump is kind of coming at this in a weird way, but he seems to be kind of doing the right thing uh at least in my opinion but is he doing for the right reasons is it doing because he wants peace or is it because he loves dictators yeah do we love trump now as a podcast uh yes we do Uh, let me tell you why (laughs) (laughs) actually wait no never mind i hate him um and here's why (laughs) i end up often being the the america defender on the show out of some weird way because like just relative to you guys no you're a nationalist just admit it yeah (laughs) okay yeah you're right he has his hand over the heart whenever he says america (laughs) When you look at American history and you look at American presidents, we've, we've talked about how, how in the Cold War we often supported dictators um, in South America, in you know, Korea and Vietnam. And it, that's a very valid criticism. But uh, at the time, it was seen as the alternative is a socialist dictator versus our dictator. And while we can argue the merits of that or not, at the end of the day, America has kind of always at least publicly espoused pro-democracy governments in the world. And this is this goes back really far. Like, since the country was basically founded, we've been like, we need to support other democracies or republics in the world. That form of government is good and better than monarchies and better than dictatorships. And even when we are supporting assholes like Batista in Cuba or whoever, we at least publicly, our, our president, who is the head of state and figurehead of the country, has always tried to say and publicly announce to the world that we support freedom and democracy. Uh, until Trump, because for some reason, for whatever weird reason, <laughs> for some reason, yeah, he really likes dictators. And again, oh, wow. it may be it may be that presidents in the past liked dictators, but at least they would they would show to the world, hey, America doesn't. <laughs> yeah, support. It wasn't it wasn't a public adoration and fawning for them? Yeah, it, the, since since he speaks for the country, essentially, the the public stance has always been we support democracies. And yes, okay, we've supported some dictators. Well, uh, socialism is worse, or you know, whatever. We still want them to be democracies eventually. And Trump, on the other hand, has a very strong record of supporting dictatorships. And it's not just the Putin one we're thinking of always. Basically, every dictator in the world right now that has a platform, Trump has said nice things about. So I just want to talk about a few of them in case our listeners don't know about some of these autocrats. If you guys know in the Philippines, we have Rodrigo Duterte. He yeah. is probably best known for when he became president. He was like, actually, when he was the mayor of his town, too. He said the police or anyone can kill drug uh, drug dealers. Just go and kill them. Mm-hmm. They don't need trials. Just go take a gun and shoot them. And which has led to a lot of murders in this yeah, country. Yeah, I, I, I read there's, there's a really, I forgot who did. There's a really good expose on it that I've read about, like, just what it's like when you're, like, walking down the street and there's someone that pulls up with the motor like they're on a motorcycle and someone in the back has a semi-automatic and they shoot down your brother and it, they're like he was a drug dealer yeah but it was more that th- these people are just the people that like they use drugs they're just the users of them they're not dealing it they're just yeah so drugs. so that, that's a good point that originally it was drug pushers but people again if you're just saying laws don't matter um fuck trials like people mm-hmm. are just killing killing drug addicts too you, you can just because you can just say he's a drug dealer and kill him yeah yeah. 7,000 Filipinos have been killed already in this way. And this guy's just an asshole in general. I mean, honestly, like, there's he, a million things you could say Duterte about him. Duterte himself has bragged about killing people that yeah. use drugs. Like His yeah. son also got caught with drugs, but he got um, pardoned. Oh, wow, what a surprise. Uh, he also joked about a woman who was raped, saying, I should have gotten a chance first. So mm. you get the misogyny there. He, he called the Pope a whore. <laughs> I forget who he wanted to side with. He said Obama was a shithead. On yeah. the side of China instead. Uh, yep. Uh, yeah, he that did. Him? Yeah, that was him. He says journalists deserve to die. So basically, just basically these like these obvious strongman tactics. Like I am so strong, I will kill you if you disagree with me. Women are less than me. Um, journalists are rats who are just ratting me out. Human mm-hmm. rights don't matter because trials are dumb. I will just push people out of helicopters. He, this, he Ends justifies like, the means kind yeah. of deal. Yeah. And so, so we have this asshole who's been an asshole. And then you have someone like Trump, who is, again, the face of America, saying, 
Wow, this guy is just really great. He says, the Philippine government uh, is fighting very hard to rid its country of drugs. His, his, the Philippines are heading in a very positive direction. Uh, and he just always praises how strong he is for doing this. He's like, he's really fixing up his country by murdering people without trial. Yeah, this, this blatant disregard for human life. <laughs> yeah, another it's example like, wow, is China. We've, we've talked about them on the show a lot, um, how they, they are very authoritarian as a government. Um, very autocratic. Very recently, um, Xi Jinping, the president, or the yeah, he said um, he abolished term limits so he can run for president forever. And Trump said, "I wish I could do that." <laughs> yeah, he made some joke about that. Like, wouldn't that be nice? It's also like is that that's like the main thing. But just like every other dictator or authoritarian government, you know, China jails journalists, disappears people oppresses their the Muslims in their country, lots of things that they do. Mm-hmm. And Ch- mm-hmm. and Trump says things like, uh, Xi Jinping's a very good man. I, he's a very, very good man. I love him. We have, who else? Oh, Erdogan in Turkey. Oh, yeah. Not a dictator technically, but basically a dictator. Uh, technically, he's a, he's a, he's a dictator. He's been, he's been consolidating all three branches of government and reducing the, the power of the other two branches. He has been also jailing journalists. This is a very common theme. <laughs> Which Trump himself has, like, remarked on. Yeah. Not, like, jail them, but it's like, you know, fake news. Why is that? Yeah, we should so do mean? something about that. He's refusing right? to talk to people. Doesn't want, like, AP at whatever that one. Um, The EPA. Yeah, AP? yeah. He, doesn't want he, says, he says things like, we, should, we need to do something about that. Like, what do, what do you mean by that? Like, yeah. so Turkey has the most jailed journalists in the world. You know, at Trump rallies, they have a cage. Not like, I don't know if it's actually a cage, but they have, like, an area for the journalists to wait in. Uh, and like apparently while uh, CNN was, was complaining saying at these rallies uh, everyone just comes to them and just uh, is like you fucking piece of shit you fucking fuck you and they throw stuff at them like yeah that will create such a hostile environment like CNN going there and they're like we have to report on this this is our and job. it's because part of his rhetoric is the media is scum and hates America mm-hmm. and it's trying to destroy me mm-hmm. yeah so 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 all these countries all these dictators or dictators in training or dictator wannabes they also hate journalists. And again, a few months ago, we talked about how when Erdogan was in the U.S., actually, his bodyguard started to kick the shit out of American citizens, if you guys remember that. And Trump says great things about him. He's a great president. I don't remember the exact quotes, but he says, like, we support you. And and Erdogan, in return, says that Trump is his dear friend because strong men like other strong men. Like, that's the, that's the thing is the dictators tend... Well, in the end, they end up fighting, but they admire certain characteristics in each other. The, <laughs> the you know, I'm not taking shit from other people. I get to do what I want. Yeah, the fact that they can, like, corral their own people. Yeah. yeah. But in that way, uh, how is he much different from the average Republican voter? Because if you remember uh, when it was Putin versus Obama, the, the, the right wing pretty much said, no, we prefer uh, Putin over Obama. We prefer that kind of strong man, the propaganda he puts out. We prefer a guy who just takes charge and does whatever he wants. And they voted for Trump eventually too, so they do like strong men themselves. Yeah, and that's a fair point. And I think that's why modern America is, is, coming, up, is coming across these big problems because the average voter is, is admiring these traits. Because I think in if you look at American history, like people have always admired strong leadership. Like people saw pulling out of Vietnam as like a, you know, we're being weak and stuff like that. But at the I end mean, of the day, you even look back to like us worshiping the founding fathers type of a deal where we worship these men, like almost as much as what they wrote and wanted for us. More than if easily. Like we don't, very few people actually know what's in the, uh, what the actual first amendment actually says, but they, they, they cite it as if it's the Bible. But I will say, when we worship the Founding Fathers, we're not worshiping them for their um, strict leadership ever. We're, we're not worshiping them for... But it's a cult of personality in, in, in its own way. It's still a cult it of personality. It is, but it, I think the traits that you're admiring do matter. Like, But I don't, think, I, don't think they're, I don't think they're admiring the fact that they created this document. To, like, they don't realize how much the Founding Fathers created the document to protect like criminal scum that like these voters would consider to be criminal scum and people were accused guilty. Like they'll, they'll, like, they'll probably, if, they, if you actually listen to the tenants that are going against Trump that are in the constitution, they'll be like, fuck those tenants. Uh, the founding fathers fucked up. Trump should let Trump do what he wants. Well, like, yeah, that, that's because the, the cult of Trump is now stronger than the... Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like the modern Republican voter you're right about. And I think that's why we're having so many problems. But I think hmm. like his, like traditionally in America, we've always admired strong leadership, but it's like, we've also always been like, 
yeah, we need to spread, you know, things like trial by jury. Like that is an important thing that needs to be pushed. And that's part of the, part of the reason we've been such assholes in the world of pushing our own agenda, because Americans have often felt like, no, democracy is the best and you're going to take it whether you like it or not. But they've at least uh, admired like traits in our leaders that are pushed like that are that are democratic. Yeah, it's like how I feel like you can. There's a difference between ha- really admiring having a cult around someone like Socrates, and then like a military commander like Alexander the Great, where it's like yeah. you're admiring their show of force and and like um, Attila the Hun. The only reason yeah. I'm hesitant to agree with you guys is because I feel like uh, a lot of people just I uh, agree, like I, they basically treat the fine fathers as empty shells that support whatever they do. When people when people argue against anything they want, they say it's in the Constitution that this is what it is, and even it could be completely not in the Constitution, but they just like they just uh, empty, uh, they just uh, glorify these empty hollow figures that the right wing media usually just p- projects different ideals onto, like just the idea the idea is the name, but not actually what they believed in a lot of times. Yeah, that, I, that's true for sure. I just yeah. it's like when I think about like the the founding fathers, like when I think about Washington, when I think about Hamilton, I don't like I don't think people think of them as strongmen, like. They're not admiring them being tough. Like Washington's like soft spoken. Uh, Jefferson. I, I think it's different because you know, you're looking at this from a way more historical perspective, where I can see what Sly's saying, where it, the, it's just like empty husks, and you picture like Washington riding through town and slicing open British soldiers' stomachs and stuff. Do you? Do you picture that? <laughs> no, I. <laughs> I didn't mean to. Mean, I explicitly picture, but I can see the people that worship the Constitution like it's a holy document, seeing that they were all like that, and that none of them were soft-spoken. That they were all like men like Trump, kind of a deal. Yeah. yeah keep in mind. Uh, a lot of Republicans believe that Martin Luther King was Republican, and he believed that. Oh my uh, God! Yeah, Jesus. Yes, yeah, yeah, so like Martin Luther King lived in the 1960s, and he, like his, his all of his teachings were very. I think he'd be against BLM. <laughs> yeah, like he'll be against BLM. So like you could like there's a quote that uh, always rings true to me: even if you accomplish uh, something great, uh, your ed- all you will accomplish is, ha- is having your enemies make your corpse dance for them. And that's kind of mm. what happened with Martin Luther King. That's kind of what happens to uh, founding fathers in a lot of cases. Yeah, uh, like the, the fascists use their names, invoke their names to support Trump. When, that's fair. Uh, yeah. That that is yeah. fair. And and people will always try to invoke these past things for their own gain. Like and 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 fascists have been doing that forever. It, it's like it's like revisionist history, where yeah. you're you're imagining them to be closer to you in spirit rather than how they actually were. Like Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Jesus is a good point. Everyone's everyone's Jesus is white and. Uh, yeah. <laughs> A Middle no, Eastern a... white dude. Yeah. Back in zero eighty. The big the big two dictators I wanted to mention, which everyone knows about, but I just wanted to also throw in there are Kim Jong un and Putin also. Trump has said the most nice things about well, the most nice thing about Putin. Recently he's been saying nice things about Kim Jong un though, even though he called him Little Rocket Man before. Now mm-hmm. he has been praising him, saying he's very brilliant, he's very oh. clever. Which is just the funniest thing, the grandstanding and the posturing that Trump did about, like, look how small he is compared to me. We'll destroy him. And now when he has to be diplomatic, he becomes, like, ingratiating to a fault. Yeah. It's just, it's such a crazy reversal. Trump does of everyone. Remember, uh, he'll, you know, lock her up, lock her up. And then after he won, he was just like, oh, yeah, lock her up. That's a good thing to say, but I'm not going to do it. Oh, yeah. Or even all the bad things he mentioned about Obama. Then the, exactly. he had, like, the handshake and the... Yeah, but then, like, he, he they, uh, they were in his presence for, like, a minute, so he, he, he liked them now. Then they left his presence, and he's like, fuck those people. They're terrible. Or maybe he <laughs> yeah. is just driving a hard deal. You know, you make him a tough stance, <laughs> then you, you, you know... <laughs> Well, the, you know, regardless of if he's doing this in some, like, deal-making way, if, if you have a country like North Korea that is guilty of so many human rights abuses and you say, like, he's a good leader, like, you, you can say he's he's strong, I guess, and, like, uh, he, we got to negotiate and he was reasonable with me. But when you're, like, he's a great leader, he is, you know, doing the best for his country, he's a, you know, whatever, they have mass forced labor prison camps. Mm-hmm. I wonder how Nixon regarded, because uh, I don't know. I wonder how Nixon regarded the Chinese when he normalized relationships with them. Like, uh, That's interesting, actually. Because like, uh, I don't know how previous presidents did it. I'm assuming Trump is doing way worse than most presidents because it's Trump. No, that's a fair point, actually, because Nixon was pretty willing to overlook China's human rights abuses mm-hmm. to, to open up diplomat diplomatic relations i feel like anytime you have to open up diplomacy yeah, you, you can't be like you ignore how they treat their own people kind of yeah. to an extent but do you have to say wow whenever kim talks all his people stand at attention i need my people to do that too <laughs> 
Oh yeah, and the the military parades too that he was that he yeah. saw. What was it in China? It, it's again one of those things that like you're right that Nixon wasn't saying when he went there like you guys really need to stop fucking killing your own citizens, but he wasn't coming home and saying I need a government like that. <laughs> like there's a and, and publicly too. That's the thing. It's like he, when you publicly say something like. I want to be more like Kim Jong-un in this way, in the way that his citizens are scared of him. Like, you're publicly saying that you admire those traits. Just today, there was an article about how he saw, like, an attractive North Korean reporter woman on the TV talking about Kim in a positive way. And he was saying that he wishes that he could get that kind of treatment. Yeah. Right. Like we mentioned, uh, everyone kind of, uh, I guess, appeals. I can see the appeal of that kind of leader. So, like, Trump is just like his voters. He watches Fox News. So, like, he's, like, just how people see Trump and when they see Trump act tough. So, like, that guy's my leader. Trump sees in somebody else. Like, deep down, <sighs> he, he is a, a Trump voter. And he sees another Trump, <laughs> he will vote for Kim, too. Yeah, it is true. That's and, a really and I think good point. <laughs> he is a Trump voter. This, I'm sure you could go back to some fucking childhood stuff where his dad was a authoritarian who he could never impress. So having another authoritarian male figure like acknowledge him in, in a positive way makes him feel good inside. And I did you know, hear his, his his dad is a piece of shit and like he like uh, disowned all of his sons for being a failure. Like yeah, no, I think I think that's actually what happened is that yeah. his dad would he he could never make his dad happy and his dad was an authoritarian piece of shit so trump grew up i think complex. i think he was also caught at a clan rally one time oh yeah yeah. Clan march. yeah he was <laughs> so it's like i'm sure there's some deep psychological thing here where like when he sees strong leaders um being tough guys like you know punching people in the face when they say bad things about them you know mm-hmm. figuratively I, but and you know figuratively but actually they strap them to cannons and shoot I mean, them but, but, but it, also, uh, it also just speaks to like just a very like primal center in your brain where it's like anyone talking bad about you you know you want to make shut up and he yeah. can't do that in america because we have all these laws yeah, yeah i don't think it's uh it might, it might be psychological but i don't think it's a, a everyone in like 50 percent of our country is afflictive with psychological illness or yeah with daddy europe issues is, or most of europe is being increasingly afflictive uh psychological issues i think uh, it's more the fact that uh, most people we, we talk about centrists and stuff like that and like the recent polls show that centrists are more or less likely to support democracy than either the far left or the far right and the reason why i always shout on centrists is because uh the reason why i always, uh, like basically it got formed into an argument recently much better than i could ever i could ever do Basically, centrists uh, don't want to talk think about politics at all. They want to be handled for them. They, they, they resent being asked to be involved in politics. They'd rather be handled for them. Somebody like Trump will handle politics for them. They'll, they'll get through Congress. They'll get through the Supreme Court. They'll muscle through what they have, they have to. And uh, all the people have to do is like, run the news and see, okay, we got this, we got that. And that's, they don't have to think about it or get active on the local level or do anything. And that's what a lot of people, a lot of people rather do. They don't want to think about politics. They'd rather not. And that's kind of the argument against centrism is that centrists usually just rather not think about it at all. Or is this an argument against democracy that democracy doesn't work because centrists I, will always exist? I, I think I think you mean moderates instead of centrists. It's always confusing. I don't know what the fuck I mean. The centrists are people that actually hold values. It's sort of like left and right, but they hold both left and right some more than others. The moderates are the ones always trying to be in the middle no matter what. Well, that's it. That's actually different. That's even, that's even different then because I usually bitch about the moderates. But centrists, according to the survey, are people who usually are the opposite. Moderates are the, are the people you see on TV say both sides are just as bad. So, uh, mm-hmm. Centrists, as the survey is referring to them, are people who usually just say both sides just work together. Just try to figure it out. Like I don't, I, so I, I don't want to think about it. Basically, that kind of shit. The mm-hmm. kind of people who, who think Trump is just another president and don't see what's so bad about him. Like, what's the big deal? Kind of people. Hmm. It's really also really worth pointing out how little respect Trump gives to our allies when he gives so many praises mm. to dictators. This is yes. something that's actually really important because, like I said, historically, America's kind of pushed democracy and tried to not praise dictators. But at the very least, we've one of America's big strengths in the world, like since we became a world power in the 20th century, has been strong allies throughout the world in other dem- democracies and you know, groups like, like like we said, like the UN was largely uh, US focused or was a big ally of the US. We have we had stuff like NATO that made America's power projection in the world because of our alliances. And this is even before Trump got elected, but he's consistently shit on our allies publicly. Um, mm-hmm. He's shitting on Canada at the moment, trying to, well, starting a trade war with them, not start, not trying to. He's shitting on all our allies, basically, at some yeah, point. Yeah, he refused to shake hands with Merkel. Like, uh, he, got to, he got to a pissing match with Macron. 
Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. So France, Germany, Canada, which have been our strongest allies since World War II. He has, while praising dictators, consistently talked bad about them, called them weak, called their countries weak, um, said, uh, you guys are screwing us. Said that they owe us money. Yeah. And this kind of situation is, is always very troubling to me because regardless, not regardless, but, you know, we've talked about how the presidency isn't actually that you know, it's not the most powerful position in the world. He can't make laws on his own. Whatever damage he can do domestically is limited by Congress. But mm-hmm. like foreign policy is pretty much the president has a blank check there. Because our, because we fucked up when we wrote our constitution and we didn't realize how much <laughs> foreign relations would matter. Uh, we gave well, the Senate, the Senate has to ratify treaties and stuff like I that. I think we, we I think they like they rescinded that power recently. Like I think like I think there was a bill like Bernie Sanders supported like saying. Give us back that power to do that, and Congress soon was like, "No, fuck you." I, for, I forget the exact details, but for I think treaties? we were, no way. No, I, we, we the Senate still has to ratify treaties. I think it was war, war for sure. War for sure. We we were sending the, the rights to declare war. Oh yeah, them. yeah, because of the Iraq War. Well, that well, those weren't wars. That's why. And and uh, treaties, <laughs> I, I wonder about treaties. Like, uh, even, no, treaties was, definitely have to be ratified. But Senate. even and even if it technically does, I wonder if anyone in Congress will ever go. Well, that, well, that's 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 a big problem. Is that like this Congress has just been like whatever Trump wants will do. Yeah, and and would Obama have gotten the Iran deal if if I don't think I don't I think I think they were sending that offer because I don't think Obama would got that Iran deal the, the the sheer vitriol towards that deal and like the, the Paris Climate Accord and shit like that. Mm, I think I think that's not a treaty. But that's the thing. I think they just uh, that's probably what, what it is. Then they probably just don't classify as treaties and they say, "Aha, I got you, Congress." I think. Yeah. Uh, I think it just it's technical. It's just technicality. Like it basically is. Con- a person has power to ratify treaties. It just doesn't call it a treaty. It just says something else. It's an accord. It's a deal. It's a this. It's a that. Yeah, and that is, that is actually a big problem. That like, same thing with the war thing. Like you know, the Congress has to declare war even still, but we just don't declare wars then. We just send yeah. troops to places, and we're like, if you see people there and shoot them, like it wouldn't be bad. Um, <laughs> Not a word, but, but yeah. So like, he could do a lot of damage to America's future by cutting these or damaging these relationships with our allies. We talked about how the Iran deal is, regardless if you like the deal or not. Going back on a deal four years later is hurts America's credibility in the world, and then shitting on our closest allies and starting trade wars with them. And praising people who are have been traditionally our antagonists or rivals like China and Russia, you kind of put America in this position where you could easily envision a few years down the line that we are alone in the world. Because guess what? China and Russia are not going to be our allies in the next few years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we hopefully won't go to war with them, which is what we want. We hopefully will have friendly relationships, but they're not going to be on our side like Canada has been on our side for a hundred years. If China's building like a travel path throughout the whole entire world and stuff, it's like yeah. if America starts wanting to do that or get into solar, who's going to want to listen to us when we're just like, we're such little temper tantrum throwing shitheads right now. Yeah. Uh, one thing to ask Phil though, because uh, we've talked about this a lot. Phil says America is underrated. People always look at all European countries in Canada and stuff like that saying, oh, they have socialized medicine. They have all these things, and it's, and Phil points out it's because we give them the military might. Our uh, American uh, military force throughout the world basically replaces these uh, these European countries and the Canadian and Canada's military force, and they don't have to build the military so they can focus on social programs. And right now, one of the reasons why we're having this huge uh, America, uh, make America great again, America first, is because of, of that reaction. Like we've been neglecting our own, our own country, we should be focusing on ourselves. Uh, so, do you feel like any like some good will come out of this? If like uh, like uh, like no, you know, I don't because it's not like these people are like America first. We need uh, socialized medicine. <laughs> yeah, it's the opposite. We're like America first. We need an even bigger military. <laughs> Maybe not with the Trump voters, but like in, in creating a situation oh. down the line. Like basically, huh. it's it's one of those things where just like uh, I, look, I look at the same way I look at the 2016 uh, election. And you, you might think like it was the worst thing ever because Trump won. But Hillary probably would have lost re-election, and we wouldn't have this blue uh, blue wave coming in soon. And and I, I don't know which which way have been better. What will, what will come of it? But sometimes bad things have to happen for good things to come later. And mm-hmm. uh, and that is a shit situation. The fact that uh, America is uh, this military force of the world, and and it, uh, we knew it even in the past. The reason why uh, we uh, replaced Japan's military of our own, banned from having military. Uh, there are documents from from that time when we were making the plans to take over Japan's uh, economy and uh, the military. 
we said uh, a country that's expanding worldwide always has increased in quality uh, indoors. So if the government of Japan's military will be able to, to reduce the insane inequality that Japan had at the time because, and, and, and because of our actions, both through the war and afterwards, uh, Japan's at least lost 90% of their wealth because of, our, uh, because of everything that happened after World War II and afterwards. We knew it back then that if you have increased foreign expansion, you have increased inequality in our home. So eventually we'll have to decrease our expansion for everyone to address our inequality at home probably probably <laughs> I, I think I think so like there's no so you're saying you're saying that we need to reduce our foreign military presence or power projection yes. in order to address domestic problems yes right? and um, I and I do believe Europe and Canada inversely have to not rely on America as much anymore probably because we have a stupid constitution that gives a president such unilateral power on foreign relations. I feel like that's not a bad idea, but it's just like the technology has changed so much too. the fact that we can like attack with drones now, or it's like, we don't really need a massive overseas presence. And I don't see any, you kind of do because drones and stuff are nice for taking out like a, a, a house or something here and there. Yeah. Or wedding in Yemen. Yeah. To occupy an actual place. Like, you still need infantry no matter what. Like, you actually do need boots on the ground to occupy a town, to say this is under our control. You need to have people walking the streets with guns. Yeah, but have we been, like, occupying a lot of places, or have we just been, like, funneling weapons there and drone striking? It depends what you're talking about. We we, we still have, we have a, a, a military presence in Afghanistan on the ground. Mm-hmm. We have a military presence in South Korea, in Germany, in Japan. Uh, you know, we have troops in these places, which is... It is draining on the American nation. The The only thing I worry about, though, Sly, is you're saying, like, if we retract internationally, we can focus more on home. And, and also, Europe, Europe already is saying, Merkel said, Europe has to expand its military presence, too. So as we contract, yeah. Europe will grow as well. Yeah, and they'll make some kind of European military, probably. Um, some kind of EU, EU military. Yeah. And that's fine, but I wonder, as China starts to expand now, for example... Like and we retract and lose our allies. Uh, what will the world look like in fifty years when China starts doing what we've been doing, and they have no counterbalance? The, thing, the only thing I wonder about that is, uh, has China shown any signs they want to be a military power? And I don't think they have really yet. Um, their military is pretty big. It is, but 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 it's not as uh, per capita, not as big as ours. And most of their population, it is bigger. It is bigger, but they don't spend as much. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's because they have more people too, like uh, the amount of yeah. percentage of their yeah. population in the military, stuff like that. Yeah, I, that's a good question. Like, would they actually start doing overseas operations? I don't know. I mean, they might, and, and I mean, they definitely want to in Asia. Like, they want to control the South China Sea and stuff like that, but. Thing. Everyone wants to have an empire. Basically, the EU is kind of an empire now under Germany because they're the only ones that you've uh, and you have already uh, in, t- in terms of legislation <laughs> or banking uh, power. So, mm-hmm. and yet Russia wants to be an imperial power. Basically, if you, if you if you have any country and you have any kind of success, you want to eventually rule the world. Uh, so probably it is in their in their mind. But uh, I guess what I'm saying is. Uh, right now, America is purely the only opposing force to China and Russia, and I think we uh, we have to contract at some point if we ever want uh, America not to implode every couple four years because uh, people are upset with the way country the country is uh, going internally. I just wish it was something like let's balance out NATO spending differently a little rather than let's leave NATO. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Trump is so much a reactionist that he's like, I'll just get rid of all my allies instead of instead of trying to negotiate like. Maybe we cut down a little bit of our spending and you increase yours. I wish Ryan was here maybe because he would know about this. I heard an analogy recently that in nature, very rarely does nature autocorrect itself. It usually just just becomes unsustainable, then uh, it destroys itself and then rebuilds from that. And I kind of wonder if humanity is the same way, if we have to destroy NATO in order to rebuild it in a fair way. I don't know. So, talking about nations pretty much all wanting to control the, the world, I guess. Uh, we're going to talk about nations first and foremost wanting to control themselves. So, my topic that I'm coming to the podcast with is about fascism. More specifically, ur-fascism, which is eternal fascism. And all the information is taken from the 1995 article by Umberto Eco, and a lot of my language is used from it. And it's linked down in the show notes if you want to read it, which I recommend you do. He's a good writer. In it, he talks about being a child in 1945 Italy under Mussolini's rule and goes on to pick at what exactly fascism is. He makes this interesting remark. 
Even though I am much concerned about the various Nazi-like movements that have arisen here and there in Europe, including Russia, I do not think that Nazism in its original form is about to reappear as a nationwide movement. Which is like true to a degree, you know, you're not yeah. going to see the black swastika on a red flag, nor the same nationalistic propaganda in America that was prevalent throughout Germany in the 40s. And Echo goes on to ask why we use the term fascism to describe an ideology with totalitarian totalitarian ideas which like as a reminder the word fascism comes from the italian word fasci which means a bundle in english and it was a term used to describe italy's budding political parties in the early 20th century one of which was mussolini's national fascist party in 1921 so from the italians we derived uh, fascism and he points out that many of the fascistic regimes all had different prerogatives from each other and from italy uh, for instance, Nazism had a theory of racism and Aryans being the chosen people and a precise notion of degenerate art and a philosophy of the will of power and the Ubermensch, and it was decidedly anti-Christian and neo-pagan. Meanwhile, Italian fascism was not totally totalitarianism due to its philosophical weaknesses. There was no special philosophy as all Mussolini utilized was rhetoric rather than ideals. Fascism's strength is that it established a military liturgy, a folklore, and a way of dressing with its black shirts. Uh, throughout Europe, it provided a mildly revolutionary alternative to the encroaching communist threat. But like, as, as a movement itself, it didn't really like stand for anything other than just like mm -hmm. not strength. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But kind of like uh, nowadays, like just strength. Like, there's no unifying philosophy between most right wingers now. Really, this is what's important. Echo argues that although historical priority does not offer a sufficient reason for fascism's popularity in describing totalitarian regimes, it is effective at portraying the ideology's lack of quintessence. Echo writes, Fascism was a fuzzy totalitarianism, a collage of different philosophical and political ideas, a beehive of contradictions. Can one conceive of a truly totalitarian movement that was able to combine monarchy with revolution, the royal army with Mussolini's personal militia, the grant of privileges to the church with state education extolling violence, and absolute state control with the free market? The fascist party was born boasting that it brought a revolutionary new order, but it was financed by the most conservative among the landowners who expected from it a counter-revolution. Hmm. Echo goes on to describe that unlike Nazism, there was no central architect, like architect artist, and not like Stalinism, there was no single uh, artistic curator. There were art awards that encouraged propaganda as well as rewarded avant-garde art, avant-garde art that was banned in like uh, Germany. And Italian futurist architects that thrived under fascism despite the rejection of the Roman Empire and rural traditions. And the Ermetici er poets uh, that opposed a cult of heroism that fascism nurtured, but they were tolerated due to their arcane language. And of course, fascism wasn't tolerant. Political leaders were jailed and assassinated. Free press was abolished and labor unions were dismantled. But the tolerance of art and opposing ideologies paints a picture of political and ideological discombobulation, as Echo describes it. One that was a rigid discombobulation, a structured confusion. Fascism was philosophically out of joint, but emotionally it was firmly fastened to some archetypical foundations. Echo later states fascism became an all-purpose term because one can eliminate from a fascist regime one or more features and it will still be recognizable as fascist. That's pretty interesting. He goes on to give examples saying how if you take away imperialism from the equation, you still have Franco and Salazar. Take away colonialism and you have the Balkan fasc fascism in the Ustaches. Add anti-capitalism and you have Ezra Pound. And this brings us to a list of 14 features that Echo describes that belong to Ur-Fascism, you know, the eternal fascism. Many of these might contradict one another or be typical to despotism or fanaticism, but one alone can allow fascism to coagulate around it. I'm just going to run through them real quick. The first is cult of tradition. Second is rejection of modernism. Third is action for action's sake. Fourth is no criticism or disagreement. Fifth is fear of diversity and difference. Sixth is appeal to a frustrated middle class. Seventh is obsession with a plot. Eight is distaste for the enemy's wealth and force. Ninth is life as permanent warfare. Ten is contempt for the weak. Eleven is everybody is educated to become a hero. Twelve is the will to power 
is transferred to sexual matters. 13th is selective populism, and the 14th is the utilization of Newspeak from 1984. And I'm not going to go into a deep dive into any of these, but there are a handful that I want to elucidate because I find them fascinating. The first, the cult of tradition that Echo specifically says it's different from traditionalism and that it has to be syncretistic, which means that it must combine and tolerate contradictions. For example, he brings up Italian thinker Julius Avola, who combined the Holy Grail with the protocols of the elders of Zion and alchemy with aspects of the ancient Roman Empire. Another more obvious example is like the Nazis and their obsession with the occult, as well as um, old Germanic traditions. Echo says that traditionalist mystique suggests that there was a hidden knowledge given to man at the dawn of history, and that knowledge can be revealed if one studies forgotten languages like Egyptian hieroglyphics or Celtic runes, which you like you see in within like alt-right circles that like some of the flags they had at the Charlottesville march were specifically like runes. Hmm. Uh, number three, action for action's sake, is that action is beautiful in and of itself, so it must be taken without reflection because thinking is a form of emasculation. This is where distrust of the intellectual world stem froms, and he brings up examples of people using the terms back then of degenerate intellectuals, universities are a nest of reds, and German military leader Hermann Göring allegedly saying, when I hear talk of culture, I reach for my gun. Which I feel like it's like where you see people online being like, if these two girls kiss in this movie, I'm going to lose it. Or just the common like, oh my god, these fucking elitist college students. like Yeah, or like, do we always have to talk about race? Yeah. <laughs> these these yeah. SAWs, like retired elites, shit like that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Number seven, obsession with a plot, says that the only privilege to earth fascist is a common one in that they're born in the same country. Or this is the only privilege that the earth fascists give to them, is that they're born in the same country. And therefore, anyone that can provide an identity beyond that must be the nation's enemy. This leads followers to feel besieged and to suspect that everyone outside of the country could be an enemy. And Echo mentions that Jews are a prime target because they have the advantage of being at the same time inside the country and outside the country, which I thought was interesting. I think talking about the contradiction stuff of like the admiration for the enemy's wealth, but also <laughs> hatred of weakness. Like if you look at Nazi propaganda, it simultaneously always portrayed Jews as this like powerful network of elites that, that were controlling everything behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, Nazi propaganda always shows this idea that they're weak, they're less than us, they're they're stupid, they're they're you know they're pathetic. Like they they existed in the state of both being this overpowering conspiracy to topple us, but at the same time, like they're conquerable by us because they're weak and shitty. I feel, but I feel like everyone does that. Honestly, I, uh, we, Obama, we could, the left could portray him or the right portray him as weak, but also uh, a. Tyrant. Yeah, but those are these are wannabe fascists. I, yeah, but this. the yeah. left then did it with Bush and Trump. They're laughable jokes, but Bush is a war criminal, a mastermind, and also uh, Trump. No, no one calls Bush a mastermind. They say he's a war criminal, but criminals can be fucking. <laughs> it's idiots. just like how Trump's not a mastermind. Yeah, no one thinks he's a mastermind. But, but no, but a lot of people, lot of people do go read it to. They say like Trump. Trump's tweets are master divisionary tackles. Like there are professors at college and make uh, massive like. Uh, Glenn Beck style like charts drawing out uh, Trump's stop patterns stuff like that analyzing what Trump does there are people that do it all the time they believe the fucking idea that kafefe is a secret term and shit like that so oh, yes dumb. they do they do they do they do and so like uh, that happens on the, on the left too left and like likes to analyze what Trump does and, and not realize he's just a fucking a I feel like I feel like that's way more prominent on the right though regarding at yeah. least like Trump but then again they're not trying to d display him as weak either they're always just trying to display him as a strong man. Which, what Phil was talking about was, uh, number eight, the distaste for enemy wealth is exactly that. And that, like, other people, like, propaganda, Italian propaganda showed Englishmen and Americans as fat, greedy mm. people. Whereas, like, yep. the individuals of the state that you're in are portrayed as austere and reserved and hard workers. And the, the contradiction is a core part of it that, at the same time, they have to be strong and weak because they have to be both hated. And there needs to be the belief that they are conquerable at the... Yeah. And so uh, Echo suggests that fascist governments are condemned to lose wars because they are constitutionally incapable of objectively evaluating the enemy. That is interesting. Which I thought was like an interesting point, yeah. yeah. 
Number 10 is contempt for the weak, which is basically about that since society society is hierarchically organized according to a military model in a, or a fascist state, everyone despises their inferiors, which reinforces a sense of mass elitism no matter where anyone is in the rung. So it's like that's why coal miners might bristle at fast food workers being paid more, even though like they're suffering too. Like you never want anyone below you to be pulled up because you're supposed to be on top of them. Mm. And lastly, number 13, that Earth fascism is based on selective populism, which is something I think that's really fascinating. So in a democracy, you have citizens endowed with rights that can make an impact on their political process. One follows the decisions of the majority, as Echo frames it. For Earth fascism, individuals have no rights, but rather than being perceived as a quantity, the people become a quality. Having lost their power of delegation, the leader becomes their interpreter. Echo states, there is in our future a TV or internet populism in which the emotional response of a, a selected group of citizens can be presented and accepted as the voice of the people. So it's sort of like, it's like how a lot of people would be fine with losing their rights as long as it's the, like the right person is in charge. And you see this like a lot on, I feel like Twitter too, just a lot of people being way happier to yell at other people rather than like trying to push for actual legislation we can like um prod our lawmakers to to support well how many people actually yeah. uh, debate for legislation most people just bitch about what the current administration is yeah that's kind of a both and left thing obviously the yeah. right never proposes any legislation whatsoever uh, as evidenced by the amount of bills congress has passed since trump took office Mm-hmm. But uh, it's kind of a b- both ways things. Usually, you usually bitch about. That's why presidents lose in midterms a lot, well, uh, or their their party loses in midterms a lot because now everyone's just rallying against him, saying "fuck that president, he's fuck, he sucks." Kind of, but but incumbent presidents have a much higher um, election rate. Yeah, that's why it's that's why I think it's probably because of once that once you move that personality from the equation and it's just their accomplishments which usually is more in midterms than it is in uh, the actual presidential races uh, with the results of Obama's policies and not Obama running uh, Democrats usually lost and same thing with Trump probably this this year like when you don't have that force of personality advocating for those positions it's hard for no name senators and congressmen to stand mm-hmm. up to that wave of resentment mm-hmm. yeah I see what you're saying so, due to qualitative populism, Earth fascism is by default against rotten parliamentary governments. Echo describes how one of Mussolini's first sentences uttered in the Italian parliament was how he could transform this deaf and gloomy place into a housing center for his maniples, which are a, basically a Roman legion. Echo makes this insightful comment. Whenever a politician casts doubt on the legitimacy of a parliamentary because it no longer represents the voice of the people. We can smell Earth fascism, hmm. which I mean, Trump is as we started in the beginning. Like he's constantly attacking the news, and he himself would just love to be able to pass laws to beat the legislative branch as well as the oh, judicial yeah. branch. He would he would completely abolish the legislative branch yeah. if he could. Yeah, so that he could just get like things done. I think he made some mention about that, where it's like it's yeah. so hard to get things done in this system. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that that stuff is interesting, and I think um, a lot of those traits are very common in in twentieth century fascism. That you can see, you can look at like you mentioned a few of them already, but you can look at Hitler and Mussolini as the big examples. But even lesser known fascists like like Franco, they do all have those similar traits. I think, mm-hmm. and it is it is scary when you see democratically elected leaders like the American president espousing the fucking fascist ideals like that Mm -hmm. it was interesting reading through the article and trying to like draw the parallels between what you see now or like how the right really pushes for fascists like one of the the ones of life is permanent warfare where basically you want to become a hero in this time like everyone's brought up to be a hero and to be a hero you must sacrifice yourself for the cause or at least like i've been able to see the few times that i went on like 4chan's poll where there are people excited if there is an uprising of the left because they want to die fighting against liberals. Yeah, I've seen Like that with too. a gun in their hand. I've seen a lot of people say that. This yeah. should not be your end goal, you know? You shouldn't want to die <laughs> fighting like Muslims and I mean, liberals. but the thing is, like, like this is part of this this machismo mm-hmm. uh, fascist ideology. Like, like Mussolini, who is one of like the prototypical fascists. Like Hitler got a lot of his ideas from him. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, the name comes from his party but he he literally said openly like this wasn't like a secret that that war brings out the best in mankind that mm. that peace 
makes people fat and lazy and complacent and doesn't make people strive for anything but war brings out this this inner like strength and stuff like that mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people buy into that idea of especially you think of these neckbeards on 4chan who like they're like my life really is meaningless in the end yeah. like i'm sitting here doing nothing like that, that like modernist nihilism and stuff yeah it's like echo states that they don't have an identity to call right. their own but to die for the country or to die for the cause would give you a real a purpose you know and mm-hmm. and i think that's where Mussolini pushes for this this machismo strength of of war, a lot of other fascists or people who lean that way can see the value or, or feel that there is value in those things as opposed to our our cushy peace life. You know, yeah. I also think in in, uh, in um, economic downturns, you have a lot of people who uh, don't have the, much of a life direction anyway. Yeah. Death in the glorious war for their ideology is preferable than just wasting away in, in poverty or uh, unemployment forever. It, it's interesting because I, I feel like we could do a whole like analysis of why a lot of these things actually, not just not that one, but it's like people have had economic problems in the past and not not just wanted to go necessarily die for it yeah or like like resorted to revolution where it's like we need to overthrow the government it seems like in the 20th century it's a big thing and i wonder how much of that has to do with modernism and the decline of of purpose used to be faith-based a lot like yeah my purpose in life is is god-given and i will have kids and i will go to heaven belonged in the cast by a higher power yeah now it's like without modernism kind of got rid of a lot of this like overarching direction of life and like now you make your own meaning but that could be mm. nothing. You don't have to follow your father's pr- profession. You can do whatever yeah. you want. Well, to, to go back to what we were saying about wanting a strong man, a lot of people want, will want to be given a uh, direction by somebody yeah. rather than have to come up with their own. Because it feels good to, to fulfill your duty, like in general. Like, don't you feel good when you do good at work or do good <laughs> on a test or something? Like, doesn't it feel, it feels rewarding in a way. Like, I did a good job. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh but if you're like, I don't have an actual life job, like, yeah, I have a profession maybe, but if I don't have a, a goal that's driving me that I'm, you know. I feel like another big thing that's part of your, you're talking about how modernism has led us to these kind of reactions and to being susceptible to this is that because we have so much more information now, it's easier to cultivate that kind of lifestyle or thought process and to find mm-hmm. like-minded individuals. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. Well, so... What are we saying here? That people tend towards fascism, that Trump likes fascists, and people like him, so they're also liking fascism. And No, but it, it's but what he did was good, I guess. <laughs> Trying to yeah. have a meeting. The, uh, yeah, it was. But, uh, <laughs> it so was. That's, a, that's a positive. We, we opened the positive and we went negative. There's yeah. no Ryan here to cheer us up. We're just... Yeah, because Ryan would have said we need to like, flip it. Although then we'd be praising a fascist dictator wannabe. No, Ryan would be like, well, think about all people who fought for freedom over the years. You're saying we're just destined towards fascism. I think it's good that people can decide their own destiny. I think we're going to get through these dark <laughs> times and come out better as people. And, and like, that's my Ryan pressure for today. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. Really good. Uh, yeah, good job. All right, so thank you for listening. I want everybody here to go to iTunes and to review us and to subscribe and to give us a like. And you have to. We're telling you what to do. This is your duty. Yep. Go out and have a purpose in life. We give us five star review. Die for and us. Yeah. yeah, die for us. <laughs> your will to power will come from giving us a five star review. Action for action's sake. Even if you don't care, just do it. And we have a big announcement in that part. The flying net machine. <laughs> The flying, the, flying machine network. Machine. <laughs> the flying Machine Network has... We have another podcast on board. Hooray! It is called the Potster Podcast. It's a political opinion podcast that's based in Ohio, hosted by a former political science instructor and current political observer, Jay Poole. She has a really interesting podcast. I've listened to an episode about immigrants and what we're doing right now and what you guys might like about it is that she approaches it from a christian perspective using her faith to justify why we should be more um, benevolent to people and it's it's really fascinating really well researched it's absolutely worth a check out if you like us which hopefully you do hopefully you you listen to this whole thing and you don't even if even if you don't like us you might like her (laughs) yeah exactly we're not that great so yeah I can't believe we didn't talk about immigrants as the fascist scapegoat for Trump. I mean, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's so that's many, the so most obvious. One. That's that's why yeah. we need Ryan because that'd be his his topic. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely check out Potstirer and mm-hmm. the other shows on the Flying Machine Network. They're yep. all cool. Yep, and donate to our Patreon if you're feeling generous or if you want to hear more stuff about politics. Our bonus episode this month is about... Presidential pardons and whether or not Presid- that is a cool thing. Well, it's, it's for next month, actually. I don't know if that's spoilers or if they don't want us saying that. <laughs> I can't remember. Fucking leaking. Moments. Fucking leaking needs to be executed. <laughs> Whistleblower. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I'm next to die. <laughs> June was about if we should adapt, adopt the same tactics by the right. Oh, yeah. And it was more or less we were unable to. <laughs> Spoilers. Hey, don't spoil. Don't spoil. <laughs> Donate to our Patreon if you want to hear all the reasons why or why not. Yeah, that's how you do it. Tease it. Yep. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our podcast. Ryan will be back next time to put this shit show back on its rails. And I've been a fascist. (laughs) I've been waiting for the love to rise up so I can die in the war. (laughs) I've been simultaneously very strong and also very weak. And I edited. Oops, I ended the podcast. I give you the incredible flying machine. And I've been a fascist. <laughs> I've uh, been... Oh, what the fuck order is this? I thought... <laughs> you, yeah, you're next. You're, oh, whatever. I've been waiting for the next... I, I'm sorry. I've been waiting for the love to rise up so I can die in the war. <laughs> I've been simultaneously very strong and also very weak. All right. Uh, stay in... No. <laughs> stay in continuity. Oh. Oops. I ended, Oops, the, I ended po- the podcast. Oops, I ended the continuity. Stay in the podcast, etc., etc. <laughs> stay in the podcast. Okay. <laughs>